Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. We had a big day today, and don't let those cheaters and crooks think anything different. Don't let them doubt. Don't let them put doubt in you. We have a movement. We have a movement, and we know it. I have every confidence that the counties administering this election conducted free and fair conducted a free and fair election and their results will be accurate but they will take time it was important to me to run my campaign that way because from day one this campaign for me hasn't been you know it hasn't been about name calling or dividing people it's been about telling the truth let us celebrate democracy. Let us celebrate the idea that we have moved in our civilization away from the divine right of kings and into the rule of law, where every single one of us matters. We are having a few technical issues with some of our tabulators at the voting locations, and so that's something that we're working to fix, but we do have a workaround for right now. It's entirely possible that this issue, this this disenfranchisement of voters voting today in Maricopa County, could determine who's our governor for the next four years, and the majority control of the United States Senate. This is a consequential issue. And with me to break down the results from election night and what the next few days and weeks might look like are Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Good morning, Chuck. Good morning, guys. And attorney Tom Ryan. Tom, good morning to you. Hey, Mark. Good morning. So uh, kind of a slow week, right? I was kind of scrambling <laughs> to find stuff to, uh, to <laughs> talk about. <laughs> so, uh, Chuck, let me start with you. Um, I just kind of want to get your general, you know, sort of 30,000 foot, uh, still several hundred thousand ballots left to count uh, t- takeaways from election night. What, what one or two things stood out to you? Well, I mean, clearly the Republican turnout on Election Day, um, the, early, the, the early participation of Democrats, uh, in the uh, vote-by-mail program, which is historic uh, in Arizona. We've been doing that since 1992. Uh, you know, showed that Democrats had a good rally and, you know, had a substantial lead. We showed that with Kelly. We showed that in the governor's race. And then Election Day voters, which in post-2020, Trump uh, and Trump's conspiracy theories has encouraged Republican voters in particular to show up on Election Day. Well, guess what? They did. And uh, we saw dramatic turns about 1 o'clock, between 1 and 2 o'clock that night, and uh, with Election Day voters. And so uh, th- we're still waiting, right, Mark? We're still waiting for the county to um, count those last Election Day ballots that were dropped off at the polling place. And I suspect <laughs> they're going to tell the, tell the tale of the tape here on the rest of the election. So, Tom, what what to you stood out? I mean, clearly that, you know, the Democrats early on election night had pretty commanding leads. And for those folks who are lucky enough to go to sleep uh, at some point on election Uh, day, night, morning, uh, you know, those leads dramatically in many cases shrunk overnight. So, you know, clearly Republicans, as Chuck said, turned out in large numbers on election day itself. What to you stood out from what we're seeing so far? I think, uh, first off, I I think Chuck is spot on in his analysis, but here's where I want to go with this. I'm very interested in the fact that you could have um, somebody like uh, Mark Kelly uh, just killing it in Maricopa County and then uh, Kathy Hoffman uh, losing to uh, a pretty crummy uh, Republican candidate, Tom Horn, who has lots of scandal associated with him. What I think is happening is you're looking at uh, not only uh, people who are 
looking at some of the candidates that the Republicans were putting up and that just not voting for them. But you're also seeing independents going down and splitting the tickets, but some voting for Republicans, some voting for the Democrats. And uh, you know, I, I find that very interesting. And I think the independent group, they're not a party, but I think the independent group is really paying attention to these elections. And if you look at the propositions and how those split out, I think that's even more, uh, more of a thing. You'll see how they really divvied up their votes on that. So I see undervoting and split tickets is the big issue here. Yeah, Chuck, on election night, we had a couple of, of panelists in studio, and both of them were kind of struck by the amount of ticket splitting that appears to be going on. And, you know, s- several years ago, we heard about these so-called Ducey Cinema voters, voters who voted yeah. for both Doug Ducey for governor and Kirsten Cinema uh, for, for senator. And there were questions about, could there be Lake Kelly voters? And it seems, at least to some extent, that there are. But also, it seems as though, you know, there are people who are voting for Mark Kelly and also Abe Hamaday for example. Yeah. Yeah, that it's a mystery, right? It's like, who are these people? I'd like to interview these yeah. folks. Um, but it, it is there. You saw Kerry running at the top of the Republican ticket with more votes than anybody else. Um, and then you saw that race on the Democratic side between Fontes and Kelly. Um, and then you saw, you know, splits down the, down the ticket in terms of how people behaved. Uh, down the ticket. I would imagine, Mark, most of those are in Maricopa County. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of them are due to the fact that, you know, people don't pay attention to down-ballot stuff. Lake Lake has run a, you know, hugely uh, momentum-based campaign. She's a master communicator, um, has this very big cultural thing going on with, uh, with the Republican electorate and you know she's good at it there's no doubt about it contrast that with the hobbs campaign which was barely visible in most places uh you know she dominated the media and the media the media loved talking to her because they were always get getting information from her so based on that you see you know most people getting exposed to the lake campaign um go down the ticket to the hoffman campaign you got you got, uh, you know, the former attorney general, Tom Horn, twice been on the state ballot, funding his own campaign with over $750,000, and I think he got into the million-dollar range, mm-hmm. and Hoffman runs a clean elections campaign. I mean, Hoffman didn't even have signs out there. Right. So, you know, you, you get down ballot, you get other things that are influencing the electorate, but I, I think it's a combination of things that happen, but mostly it's people pay less attention to down-ballot races. Well, Chuck, how much of that is, and I, I hate to use this phrase, but sort of Republicans, quote-unquote, coming home maybe down the ballot. Like, maybe Republicans are willing to vote for a, a Senate candidate or a, demo, a, gov, a gubernatorial candidate on the Democratic side, but once you get a little bit further down the ballot, maybe some Republicans are a little more squeamish about voting for too many Democrats? Absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you, Mark, how many Republicans I talk to who are looking at me in the mirror and talk, you know, over the phone and in conversation going, I can't believe I'm going to vote a straight Democratic (laughs) ticket. I mean, it was just, I talked to a bunch of people like that. And I knew that was in the bubble I live in. I know that's the bubble I live in. But it, it was expressed with angst, like, I cannot believe I'm doing this. And so it is, uh, it's a real thing. Tom, do you think that the Ducey Cinema voters are the same voters as the Lake Kelly voters? 
probably not. That, that's a great question. I mean, you could you see cognates there between the two sets of candidates, but uh, no, I, I think it's very different, and I think it's I, I think it's driven very much by um, you know first off, Blake Masters is being funded by Peter Thiel. Uh, you know, he, he ran a, he ran out of money and nobody was funding him for the longest time. Mark ran a very positive, uh, campaign. And if you look at his, uh, stuff, he, he showed that he was very bipartisan. Now Kirsten Cinema did that when she first ran as well. Yeah. Uh, you would not know that either of them were Democrats. Um, and I thought Mark Kelly did made great use of, uh, Republicans coming out for him. Um, I thought Katie Hobbs did the same. You, the, the commercials that were coming out at the end with uh, former U.S. Uh, District Attorney Paul Charlton, a, re- a well-known Republican in this state, coming out for Katie Hobbs and John Giles. I mean, I, I, I thought they did a good job of showing bipartisanship. I think with Katie Hobbs, it was just it was a much more lackluster uh, campaign. Uh, Carrie Lake, if you watch her on TV, on uh, the national TV shows, she can say the most outrageous things with such a sweet, dulcet tones that, oh my goodness, she she really seems to know what she's talking about. She, you know, she could be talking about green monsters eating watermelons in the middle of your living room, and it would sound very credible. I mean, it's just <laughs> she's that good. She's that good. And Katie uh, is a very bright lady, uh, but she has a kind of a high pitched voice. She does a lot of ums and ahs and errs. Uh, I think a little elocution. Uh, training would have helped her a lot in this contest. That sounds superficial, but that's what people look at. I mean, if you go back and look at the Kennedy and Nixon debates, uh, Nixon sweated and Kennedy didn't. Um, right. And that, that had a lot of, uh, it moved, moved the needle a lot to Kennedy that way. So, Chuck, when you look at where these races stand now, about 400 some odd thousand roughly ballots left in Maricopa County, maybe a couple hundred thousand more statewide. You have Mark Kelly leading by about 95,000 votes, Secretary of State uh, candidate Adrian Fontes by almost 90,000 votes, Uh, Katie Hobbs up by about 13,000, Chris Mays up by 4,000. If like, do you do you see some of those races staying with the leader that they have now, and and maybe some switching when when all the votes are counted? I do. Uh, I think what we're looking at is the two you just mentioned, Kelly and Fontes, being able to maintain that lead. I think that's uh, too big a lead. You know, nearly a hundred thousand votes to try and recover with you know, a 400,000, 500,000 votes left out there. Um, you know, 400,000 from Maricopa County are gonna tell the tale of the tape here. Um, and I think that margin is comfortable. The rest of them I do not feel comfortable about. You know, the rule mark is, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's an insider rule, <laughs> but election day voters, um, people who go and turn in their ballots on election day, tend to behave more like election day voters. They did in 18 when cinema prevailed. You know, cinema came back. She was behind when we went to bed that night, and she came back. Post-Trump, post-20, and the conspiracy theories, we've seen just the opposite happen with Republicans turning in late ballots, and we saw that in the presidential cycle with Biden. We saw that, you know, he needed to maintain a 57% margin in order to recover, that being Trump, in order to recover his, his loss, that, and he didn't do that. He didn't hold that. But, you know, 57 is a pretty big number. That's why I feel pretty comfortable 
saying that uh, Fontes and Kelly will maintain that lead, but the other candidates are much closer than that, and you have a, a much smaller margin that's needed in order to in order to change that. It's like 51 or 52 percent in many right. cases, and so you suspect those election day voters. It's our been experience that election day voters, people who drop their ballots off on election day, tend to behave like election day voters. So, Tom, if you are the the campaigns right now of Katie Hobbs and, and Chris Mays. What 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 are you thinking right now? I mean, do, is there hope that you can maintain? Is it sort of a hey, it's great we're here now, but you know, realistically, maybe we're not going to be here for very long? Well, first off, let's let's start with a basic. If you're ahead at this point, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> secondly, uh, second, yeah. Secondly, I think uh, there's this whole issue of a lot of people did not go and drop their ballots off at the ballot boxes early because there was this whole controversy surrounding um, the. Uh, the guys that were out there monitoring with guns and Kevlar vests. So there are a lot of people that waited until election day that probably would have voted early, um, but decided to go ahead and drop their ballot off on election day when they probably felt more secure after the court ruled that they couldn't be there, meaning the, you know, these uh, vigilantes. So I'm, I'm thinking that there are a lot of first time voters that waited till the very end. I think there's still hope for uh, Katie Hobbs and Chris Mays uh, to maintain their lead, but we'll see. I mean, it's you know, it, it could very well change. It's a very slim margin. Indeed. My guests today are attorney Tom Ryan and Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Chuck, I want to get your response to something that, that Tom mentioned about how, you know, we there we know some about the outstanding outstanding ballots. I think there's probably a lot that we don't know about uh, who who those voters are and maybe how they voted. I'm curious what you make of, of what Tom said, though, about people who maybe would have dropped off their ballots early were it not for people with machine guns and taking pictures of their license plates. I mean that that that's why we that's why we do these things, right? That's why they play the game, Yogi Berra, because you know until you you don't know until you don't know, and and those kind of behaviors, as Tom says, could have could have affected historic voter turnout, and I'm sure, as Tom says, that's probably a reality with some people. I just looked at the overwhelming Republican turnout on election day and have jumped that you know line to thinking that's sort of what happened in 20 and i'm thinking that's probably what's going to happen in 22. right so tom let me ask you a little bit about uh, some of the races for congress which have maybe not gotten as much attention with all the other high profile ones um we saw the perhaps the most vulnerable democratic incumbent tom o'halloran uh he looks like he's on his way to losing his uh, republican challenger eli crane is up by almost nineteen thousand votes given the fact that this district became a little redder after redistricting and and you know given o'halloran's status as, as so vulnerable is it is it fair to, to say this is a surprise even though you know the numbers are what they are uh, not in that district. That's always been a, a, a crazy district, no matter how they've drawn the boundary lines. It's a large district that it covers um, r- urban and rural areas. Um, O'Halloran has been a really good congressman there. He really has been a centrist. Um, Eli Crane comes in. He's going to be he's going to be closer to a Marjorie Taylor Greene or a Paul Gosar, unfortunately. But uh, no, that's that one is not a surprise. The one that's a kind of surprise to me is uh, Jevin Hodges uh, in the David Schweikert uh, race. Yeah, District One. Uh, the District One. 
Um, I've been very impressed with how Hodges performed. I think he overperformed and Schweikert underperformed. Uh, or maybe Schweikert overperformed given all of his you know, ethics uh, problems and everything else. But Hodges came on strong at the end there. So that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. That's still, that's still out there. Chuck, I'm going to do a very poor job of paraphrasing Mark Twain here, but it seems as though the political, you know, demise of David Schweikert has been greatly exaggerated over the years. He is a, he is a candidate that Democrats for a few cycles now have thought they could take out. Hodge at this moment is leading by almost 4,300 votes. Does the, as we were talking about with some of the other statewide candidates, as you get down the ballot, of course, you know, there are 400,000 votes in Maricopa County. Not all of them will be in this district, of course. But is this is this a, a lead that you think can hold for Hodge? No, <laughs> I, you know, I, th- I think it's going to Tom's right. It, it did over um, Hodges overperformed. That is correct. And and Schweikert struggled raising money in this in this last cycle because of his problems. I think the Republican National Committee and the conference came to his aid at the end. Um, but I, I and, and this district is a district that's going to continue to lean the way that it is currently showing. Um, it's been drawn in a way that's drawn in, you know, parts of Central Phoenix, um, Arcadia, uh, parts of Paradise Valley which tilt more centrist. And so uh, the district's going to continue to evolve over the next 10 years to be a, uh, the next Democratic flip hmm. unless the Republicans change their narrative. Um, I just don't think we've arrived at that point yet. So, Chuck, I also want to get your take on the 6th District. This is in southern Arizona, the, o- the only open seat uh, in the state uh, between Kirsten Engel, the Democrat, and Juan Siscomani, the Republican. Uh, Siscomani has about a 7,800-vote lead at this moment. And what's really interesting to me about this is I wonder if in some ways this shows sort of the different camps in the Republican Party. Like the, the statewide offices were all endorsed by Trump, the Republican candidates. Siskamani is a former staffer for, for Doug Ducey, who's sort of a different segment of the Republican Party to some extent. Yeah, that's a really good observation, Mark. He, he is not a MAGA party candidate. He's running in a district that is more competitive. Um, although it should tilt a little bit more towards the Republicans. Um, Engel started out the evening very well. She never got any de- you know, national Democratic support. There was not a belief um, on the d- Democrat side that this was going to be a competitive district. She showed that otherwise with the election, um, with the po- pre-election turnout, and that she could be competitive. She's a wonderfully nice lady. She's done a, a great job as a state senator. Um, and I suspect that, again, this is a district that's going to continue to evolve. But I think Siscomone fits the district well. As you said, he's more of a doocy, business-oriented Republican, Chamber of Commerce guy. Um, and I, I would hope that you know, he would be part of, these, part of House leadership that's going to maybe begin to talk about how to solve the border problem and work with Kirsten Sinema. Um, I think he's got that kind of political flexibility in that district down there. Because it, let's let's face it, Cochise County, um, those counties on the border down there are facing s- significant local problems as a result of the border crisis, and you know I think he's going to recognize that. Hopefully, in a leadership position in Congress, even as a freshman, he can maybe stretch his legs a little bit and figure out a way to help out on that issue. 
So, Tom, at the risk of looking ahead when all the votes from this race have not yet been counted, given what Chuck said about the potential evolutions of the, the Schweiker district, District 1, and this district that uh, Siskamani looks like he's going to win in southern Arizona, might these be districts that national Democrats try to put a little more effort into in, in coming elections? Uh, the, the, the National Democratic Party needs to pay way more attention to Arizona than it has in the past few election cycles. Arizona is ripe for the movement, but uh, they need more help. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the districts that could uh, certainly move towards uh, the, the Democratic uh, side. And uh, Kirsten Engel was a great candidate down there, but it's, it is a tough district, man, for, for a Democrat down there. But that's um, another one of those swing areas in the state of Arizona. They've elected both Republicans and Democrats down there. And if you're a Democrat, you've got to be basically a center to center right Democrat uh, to win in that area. Yeah, that was the Ann Kirkpatrick, roughly the Ann Kirkpatrick yep. district. Martha McSally represented that area. Gabrielle Giffords, Ron Barber represented that area as well. So, guys, we have just a couple minutes left. I want to ask you about the, the main snafu that we saw on Election Day, which was these ba ballot tabulation machines at a number of vote centers in Maricopa County that weren't reading the ballots. It seems as though maybe there's a problem with the, the on-demand printers there. Chuck, going forward, does this play any role into potential conspiracy theories that might be arising out of this particular election? Well, those that those that could uh, those that give voice to those certainly, <laughs> um, you know, they're going to do it regardless of what. I mean, you saw that on election night. You saw Tucker Carlson breathing in a bag about it. When in reality, it was a two-hour <laughs> shutdown. It never denied anybody the right to vote. Um, you had alternative voting places, and they had this you know, drawer three box where if you wanted to drop your ballot in there, you drop it in there. Those are going to be counted today. Those 17,000 voters that didn't get to see their ballot, you know, go through the machine are all going to be counted today. Nobody was denied an opportunity. The court saw that for what it is. The county got those uh, machines out there and re them, actually figured out what the problem was within two hours. And the problem was simply that the scanning machine wasn't reading the line separating between the two columns uh, on the ballot. And so one machine or two machines was not doing that properly. They replaced those and they fixed it. You know, hey, imagine this, you know, what, what I said the other day, I'm like, how many times do you go into work and your computer's not working? And you go, oh my God, I got to reset it. I got to reboot it. I got to do these kind of things happen. And when mechanical issues happen, when this is what, and they took care of it and they handled it. Like, you know, the, the counties handled the election really well. Yeah, so um, there's yeah, a there's a there's a rumor out there that Dinesh D'Souza is going to take drawer three and make it into two thousand drawers a movie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> drawer three, Tom. It's all happening in drawer three. That seems, that, that seems like a that seems like a situation that maybe could use a a rebrand, re maybe to something a little better than, than yeah. drawer three. Tom, I yeah. mean, is there is there a concern though that? You know, as Chuck was saying, that for folks who believe in conspiracy theories, this seems like it might be ripe for yet another one, depending on how some of these races turn out. Oh, they, you, you don't even need that snafu for, for the conspiracy theorists to come up with conspiracies. Look, let's, let's be clear. Maricopa County runs a very clean and very professional election system, and it has worked well for decades. And yes, of course, conspiracists will come up with whatever they want to believe. But the plain fact of the matter is Maricopa County is a well-run, well-oiled, perfectly done election system. 
All right. We'll have to have that be the last word. Thank you so much to uh, Attorney Tom Ryan, Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Guys, thanks for coming on. Get some rest. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.